Does your company do training sessions at all for you? Uh, yes. In fact, no, in fact, absolutely we do. We did one a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Hmm. What sorts of topics are they? Uh, we've had a few new starters in non-technical roles. So we had a, a sort of a primer on APIs and how to interact with APIs with Postman. Um, and we all we all did it as a kind of a team building thing. We all played along. So, so they're more of more, more technically technical things. We do book reviews and we various things, and we will individually go off on relevant bits of training, like either online or in person. Yeah. Do you, do you book that, or people force you to go? Not force you, but is it a part of your job title description? Kind of mix of both. Uh, I don't know if you count like conference attendance and stuff in that as well, but I mean, I'm. Where I work is a Ruby shop. I know no Ruby. As soon as I can find a good, as soon as I can find a good in-person Ruby workshop, I will be there. So, if any <laughs> listeners know of any good Ruby workshops being held, let me know. Um, and one of our salespeople is learning like the fundamentals of coding as well. He's going to classes for that um, in person, uh, oh, so nice. that he knows a bit more about what he's selling. I mean, he knows the product inside out, but like the things that he asks for, it always helps to have people know a bit of code. Yeah. But obviously, we shouldn't be doing things in person at the moment. Oh, no, obviously not now, no. <laughs> um, so at my company, we also do training sessions. Um, they're generally maybe every two or three weeks, um, depending on the people that want to run them. It's always run by someone inside the company for the most part. And recently, we had one on making code habitable. So um, the, I think it was called, how can you make code habitable? And that's the question for this week. It's a very, very good question, how to make code habitable, because I've got no idea what it means. <laughs> it's not a phrase I've come across before. You've not... Uh, habitability? Well, I know, I, I know the words in, in English and what they mean, but in the context <laughs> of like writing code and how to make code habitable, I could probably take a guess, but I don't think I know what it means. Okay. Do you want to take a guess, or I could just tell you? <laughs> it's like, well, presumably it's about like code that you can live in. So I'm guessing, yeah. <laughs> is it maybe about like documentation and like how like style, like the questions of style? Yeah, so essentially. Um, so yeah, I, saying code that you can live in is a good way of describing it. Um, it's more like uh, when you're writing code, is it the sort of code that you're going to come back to later and quite easily understand? Or is it going to be some sort of spaghetti monster that does work and is really fast, but is something that people don't want to work on just because of the way the code is, the code base is written? Ah, excellent. I think I have lots and lots to say on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that the whole habitability thing comes from something. Have you heard of the broken windows? I don't know if it's a theory. Oh, like bro broken windows thing. policing, like from New York in the 70s. Is that where that comes yes, from? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think there's like if there's one broken window in a district and it doesn't get fixed, then I think the, the, they showed that the crime rose really quickly in that area compared to other where, areas where if there's a broken window, it gets fixed immediately. I think it's the thing, the thing of you look at, you're walking, maybe you live in the area and you see, oh, no one cares about that broken window. They won't care if there's another broken window and so on. And then. And is it also, is it also part of it, the paying, uh, paying attention to seemingly inconsequential details like what does it matter if, if the murder rate's really high what does it matter if a window gets broken every now and again but if you actually do f take the time and effort to focus on that that has a kind of like i don't know reverse trickle down effect that se <laughs> seeps up in, like rising down no, of goodness yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely it's those keeping on top of the small things um to make sure that the the big things don't become big things i think is the the essence behind it that's the whole 
theory behind it essentially um and then we were kind of just looking at ways that you can apply that to your code that you're writing every day no that sounds really interesting so this is something i'd already kind of i'd heard of um because i read a bit of the pragmatic programmer uh, the book i think i've mentioned it before (laughs) and you've still not read it (laughs) i own it i own it i've owned it for i've owned it for months and months (laughs) does that count learn through osmosis yeah just just walk around with it in your pocket (laughs) yeah so they also this is where i heard about the broken windows thing and i don't know if they use the word habitability um that's what came up in my training but there's kind of a crossover there um yeah so it's kind of things things about the style that you write your code in so for example if you go into a code base and they're using tabs everywhere don't think oh you must use spaces i'm going to start changing all of it so that I'm my code that I write is going to have spaces. No, the best thing to do in that situation is just to go along with what's there already. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's and that's something that happens. It comes up more often than you think as well. I mean, when I first started out, some of my first like proper proper jobs were making sense of old legacy code bases that existed. In fact, they weren't even that old, but they were you know quote unquote legacy, which means no one remembers how they work. Having seen what the lack of habitability looks like i can yeah vouch personally for the value of making things tidy as you go along (laughs) but i think there's like there's an element in which developers are like like trades people aren't they they'll turn up and if it's not done by them like oh if i not invented here is a syndrome isn't it it's like oh if i didn't come up with that then it must be wrong so yeah it's like every plumber thinks the plumber before them did a bad job (laughs) yeah who put this in yeah. yeah, that sort of attitude. Yeah, so you've got to be wary for that because often people will make bad choices for good reasons or you know do things that you don't necessarily understand or agree with but aren't necessarily wrong. Yes. So you've got to be open to that, but also you've got to adapt to the scenario that you're in and fix what needs fixing but know what doesn't need fixing, which mm. is exactly like you say about, about tabs versus spaces. It's an incon... And I would never admit this knowingly uh, normally but it is i suppose an inconsequential change it's not <laughs> it's not changing how it's not changing the architecture of the system that you're in it's not it, it's a thing that doesn't particularly matter so just go with the flow and it's better yeah. it's better that it's wrong all the time everywhere consistently than a mix of right and wrong and i say right and wrong. by right and wrong i mean right as in it uses spaces and wrong it uses tabs the wrongness of the code is not necessarily if it's working wrong <laughs> if there's something not, not if the code's not working correctly then do change that yeah when it's a question of style consistency is much more important than anything else yeah and and along with that kind of having bits of the code that are air quotes bad then i suppose it's fine to have bad sections but then you need to maybe add a comment or something to say this is a bad section. This is why it's bad. Would you say if you were writing some code and you, you knew that what you were doing was kind of a hacky work around something, would you just add a little comment? Oh, absolutely. Document your hacks. I mean, the, the key concept here, and this is not having heard the habitability talk, but how, what I think of in, when we think of these kind of concepts, the thing that the thing that is most important is readability. It's like how easily can someone else come into this code base, look at what you've written and what is there and understand it and there are lots of different tactics for getting to that point where another developer can come in look at it and understand where they are and know what's going on and know how to make relevant changes Um, because it's the real world that we live in and people other people are going to have to interact with your code 
I mean, you might move on to a different project and someone else inherits it, or you might expand and hire people, or your thing might get really popular and be used by people all over the world who then want to tweak and make changes. There's lots of scenarios. There's, I think there's almost more scenarios where people, other people that you don't know and don't have a chance to talk to will start using your code than there are no one else will. <laughs> <laughs> if, if if code works, it's that's inevit- almost inevitable. So, have you got any tips for how you would make your code more readable? What what sorts of things would you do as you're going along to make it so that when you come back in or whoever comes back in a couple of months' time, it's still fairly easy to read? Because I've heard people talk about comments in code, and some people go, "No, you must never have comments in code," and then other people say, "Oh, yes, you must comment every single thing you've done." What would you do? Well, I th- I always aim to have the code itself like the actual code that you're writing be readable and comprehend as clear as you can so don't use obscure abbreviated function names or variable names like name things what they are and what they do and have consistency um, so if it's a, an event handler then that function that you're using should be handle the event that i'm going to handle um, so if it's like handling a call to action button click then the function name should be handle cta click um, uh, make like be verbose in that regard um, because there's a danger that when you write I mean I, I used to I went through, through a stage of writing a code comment with every line or virtually every line so saying what something was and what it was going to do and there's a lot of duplication in there and the danger with that is the code can change functionally like someone can come in and make a change the code will do something different but if they don't update the comment then there's a disparity there and someone's going to come along, read the comment and nothing's going to make sense because that's not what the code is doing. <laughs> it's like when you're naming variables, you've got to be careful how you name, like particularly if it's a style, like in CSS when, with SAS variables, like the classic thing is you name like your primary brand color, the color that it is. So say like your company's main logo is green, you write a variable called green and then the hex code of whatever particular shade of green you want. And then yep. there's a restyle next year. Rather than change a variable name in a million places, you just change the declaration of that, which is what you should do. That's what variables are for. Change it in one place, it applies everywhere. And then suddenly everywhere in your code, it says, oh, color green, but the green is actually a red. So instead, maybe in that situation, you say brand color or something yeah. like that. Do something that's like relevant to how it's going to function. Like what is mm. this going to be used for? rather than any specifics so and particularly with like function names in like well in javascript where i work you make you make the function name what the objective of what you're trying to do is you don't necessarily talk about the inner workings so it's not um, yes yeah you don't say oh grab the first get grab the first item of an array and times it by 10 and then return it you say oh get the important value that i'm after is the name of the mm. function and with function names it's, I've, i found it's really important to not to make sure it says exactly what the function does yes would, like what, what comes out of it don't say and if you're like having to have a function name with ands in it and stuff then that probably needs to be broken up into kind of multiple functions yeah that's a good sign of like the kind of you know single responsibility for each thing that you're for each function that you're making is a good policy to run by mm. a corollary to this as well though that be careful about writing comments because they become stale and they don't mean anything and your code should be self-descriptive but there is a place for having comments in code in that model because what the code describes is the how it's like the code will very deliberately outline the things that you're doing because that's what code is it's it's a step of action it's a a series of steps of actions that are going to be taken 
doesn't say why. What code comments are useful for, and like putting code blocks in, is to explain why you've made the choices you have. Because sometimes there are like your what you're writing is a crazy hack. It's like a really ridiculous <laughs> way of doing something, and there's an obvious and logical simpler version, which often is not the right choice. But someone coming along is going to go, oh, there's a much simpler way. I can turn this 50 lines of code into one line of code. It turns yeah, out that yeah. one line of code has a massive either security vulnerability or a performance penalty that you just don't realize it is going to apply to the specific scenario. So you write you write a code block in there and say, "We are this is weird, I know, but we're doing it for X, Y, and Z reasons. Yeah. There were, I've had something similar at work recently, actually, where there was kind of like a lot of complicated code just for making some calls to an API. But it turned out that if you didn't add like a random between 100 and 300 milliseconds gap before each request, then that uh, the API thought it was getting DDoSed. Um, so it would actually just shut down and stop you from getting anything. So there was all this like extra code. Um, in that case, there weren't actually any comments, but we could speak to the people who wrote it. But if there was maybe just a comment there saying, we need you need to do this because... So it's that why. That's, yeah. that's a really good idea. Yeah. yeah, it's preserving institutional memory because you might be able to go and speak to those people at that moment in time. But in six months, one of them may have left and the other may have forgotten what the whole reason for doing it was. Even if it's code you've written yourself, you might forget. <laughs> I mean, that happens more often than I'd like to admit. That I look back on code that I've, I wrote even a few months ago and I'm like, oh, what was I doing here? Why did I make these choices? <laughs> um, so often having, a, having a, a block to explain why that's happened is useful, yeah. even only internally. But it's always advisable when you're working in a team. Yes. And and part of the, the talk that was given, um, they talked about writing code. That originally, they said, well, you should write code so that um, anyone can come along and just read it. Even a very newbie should be able to come along and understand your code. And they said, well, no, that's not actually, uh, not actually feasible, is it? And so you should probably be aiming your readability of your code to maybe like a junior developer. So a junior developer could come along and be able to understand what's happening. They might not know like some of the complicated lines, but in general they they can follow your code and understand what's happening. Whereas there's a lot of people who write code and kind of, oh, I'm going to get every single thing on one line, and then you can kind of hardly understand what's going on. It feels so good to do what they call code golf, where you reduce something down to just the absolute least, the fewest characters that it can be. Um, it's... A really satisfying intellectual challenge. It's it's a fun like puzzle to solve. It's absolutely no use to anybody <laughs> because yes, I mean I used to do it as well. You think oh I've got to save these bytes, save these extra bytes of memory, so I'm going to make all my variable names single characters and all that kind of stuff. There's tools that do that for you now. We don't. No one writes like raw JavaScript that goes straight into a browser anymore. That you can you run it through a an uglifier and a minifier takes out all the all the non unimportant white space and compresses all the variable names down um, yeah you don't have to do that <laughs> the compiler will make your code more efficient than you're ever able to now <laughs> because yeah. compilers have got that good <laughs> and it wasn't a thing that i came across until fairly late in my career because i was working in uncompiled languages as well yes like, i didn't come from a back-end uh scenario or a hardware scenario so it's a, a whole a whole new paradigm like having to think of compilers but it become such a useful part of i don't know if compiler is even the right word like preprocessor is sometimes it and transpiler i mean don't all languages actually get compiled at some point yeah at so some the point computer can yeah it's like javascript gets compiled at runtime but it's not really like you don't sit there and like 
like that old XKCD joke about like doing office chair jousting in the corridor and someone comes and tells you off and you go, oh, it's all right, I'm compiling. You've got a license to do anything you like because your code's compiling. That's not a thing I've ever really encountered. And to be honest, it doesn't really... Maybe I've had 10 minutes, but these days computers are pretty quick unless you're working on like a massive project that, that doesn't actually take that long. <laughs> <laughs> be amazed how, thing, how things spiral. I mean, yeah. So apart from yeah, not being deliberately obtuse, um, one of the powers of good function names is that is that readability at a junior level you can you might not understand what's happening within the function itself but if the function is named correctly you can say oh well this function is going to get this value and return it and i don't care how it does that because it's complicated and gutsy and crazy leap programmery in inside the function but it's wrapped (laughs) in a context that i understand yes and even in the function i'd say you don't want to make it too complicated oh no never be too clever it's like all those articles where they say, oh, a junior developer would write code that looks like this. A medium-term developer would look write code that looks like this. And a senior one is the same as the juniors. <laughs> so like, the medium-term <laughs> code has like, done something really complicated, and then they've come out the other side and realized that they should probably just try and write the, the simplest thing possible. Yeah, I think it is a function of experience. I think a lot of people, I've done it, I know I've been guilty of it, is you, you delight in the obtuse and clever way that you've solved the problem and you think you marvel at your own cleverness and <laughs> give yourself a pat on the back. But really what you're trying to do, you're not writing code for computers, you're writing code for humans. Yes, yeah. We're lucky that computers are so powerful now that we don't really need to worry about that sort of stuff. Yeah, and so even if even if we do in like, if on the web where performance is a, well, performance is a concern everywhere, I guess, but like in scenarios where performance is a concern, there's are enough steps between you writing code and it being run that you can abstract away the effect, like over efficiencies and things. Like you don't want to prematurely optimize what you're writing. Not talking about maybe exactly what you're talking about, but part of being able to read the code is kind of spacing it out nicely as well on the page, and that was something that I kind of was drilled into me with python because you don't have a choice if you don't have the correct white space then it all breaks but in things like javascript and c and uh, most other languages um white space can be whatever you want essentially as long as you've got the curly brackets in the right place and the semicolon uh, it doesn't actually matter how you style it so making sure that you're styling it in a fairly common way is something that is going to help people when they come to this code be able to read it so just like maybe adding if you've got a block of code like an if block just add a space before it and after it just so that it doesn't really an extra line of code that's blank isn't actually going to make much of an impact and is going to help increase readability for a lot of things and again that comes down to consistency i mean it's a it's a very good point but there is that nuance to it you can go too far either way and if you start leaving if you're working at a team and you leave that up to everyone's individual judgment i mean i imagine you and i working on a project would have very different ideas of how we want it to be spaced based on our own like experiences and the languages we've learned with um so that's where tools like linters and like enforced style guides come into place it's really you should have a fixed set of rules and you should not be able to commit your code, or you should not be able to push your code into the master branch unless it passes those standards. And they can be quite precise now in what they enforce. And it's just a, it's a handy tool to have. It's a real pain when you've not used one before and you start using it. I think I've moaned about it in the past. <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to write your own code your own way, and you're like, this is great, this is how I work, this is how I'm most efficient. And then you go to add your code to the code that everyone else has written, and they're just like, nope, nope, no, you haven't got trailing semicolons. No, you cannot have your code here. Oh, you've got a you have a space after your function, but after but not after the parentheses. 
uh, your code is not accepted. Yeah, could be really aggravating. Um, but then also, what you want is tools like I mean, for JavaScript, the tool I love most is Prettier, which is something that is sort of installed in my. <laughs> I don't want to call it an IDE. I guess it's a text editor. But where I write my code, every time I hit save, it's automatically formatted for me. I don't even I don't even know what the rules are anymore. It just does it automatically. I don't think about it. I personally wouldn't like that. I think may, I would like something that maybe when you finally do it, it tells you what's happening. But I think the thought of the, the your editor or your IDE changing the code for you feels a little bit weird to me. I think I prefer that you just like the underlining saying this bit's wrong. You need to change it. Or yeah, yeah. Like, but it's consistent. I've been using that style for years now. So I write or I virtually write in it anyway, and it just catches out the spaces I've missed and the, oh, I should have had a line break here and I didn't. Or yeah, that parentheses and that colon are like actually pressed up against each other. Or, or there's a space there when there shouldn't be. Like all this kind of stuff. That I don't even. Yeah. I don't want to think about that. Think about that. I don't want to know if it's been changed. I just want it to be right. <laughs> I suppose. I, I. I just. I don't think I've ever used one for an extended period of time, and maybe I don't like the idea more than actually using it. Yeah, try it because it's the alternative is you have your own set of rules, and you have a really verbose system for like dealing with it, and you have to manually approve every change that happens because you're never going to type perfectly, even if you know all the rules in your head. You're still going to miss spaces here and there or you're not you're going to drop a drop a closing bracket and there'll be a problem so it's good for ca- it, these kind of linters and code formatters are good for catching tiny little bugs that are really annoying like i haven't had a semicolon related bug in years in javascript it used to happen to me all the time i used to and it'd be, oh yeah this it's the so like the subtle little things that you you miss doesn't um, it add the doesn't doesn't javascript add the semicolons on for you it, I, yeah, I'm using semicolons as an example of things, but yeah, you can you can miss out a semicolon and still like fundamentally change the meaning of your code in certain circumstances. There are areas like semicolons are like technically optional in most cases in JavaScript. There's a few instances where you you need them or your code will break. Most when they're optional, I mean, I've got I've just got my code. I've got prettier just adds them in automatically. So always write with semicolons. Don't even have to type them myself, <laughs> but they're there. Um, just I, again, that's a question of consistency. So it catches these little bugs, but it is also the readability is something that is a massive benefit from doing this because it's, because it's consistent. Yes. And once your team get once your team gets into that mode of thinking and you have a, a mature code base that where this has been in place from the beginning, re- you reap the benefits of it. Then a lot of having habitable code that you can live in is a lot to do with being able to read it. So readability and also all of that well not even that i think it's just readability because if your code is readable then you've probably got everything that's kind of staying consistent with each other yeah that's the broken window to look out for is if you can't read what is going on you can't just like glance at it and make sense of it that's the danger sign that there are more deeper problems that have not been addressed yep yeah listeners at home if you've got any uh tips for keeping your code habitable or readable um that we haven't mentioned do write in and let us know and we'll uh we'll tell people about it next time yeah it's the kind of thing sometimes there are tiny little hacks like oh use a linter or yeah write your function names in this certain way that are really helpful so if, if you've got any that we've not come across before yeah let us know yeah um and you can always find us on twitter at aqo code and you can find us online at aqoc.dev wash your hands stay indoors don't touch your face <laughs> Are we, are we doing that? I don't know. <laughs> what about in a year's time when people are coming to this podcast from... Yeah, maybe stay indoors is not so relevant. Then. <laughs> <laughs> if, 
you're in the middle of 2020, stay indoors. Yeah. <laughs> Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Stay safe and have a good week. We'll see you next time. Bye. See ya. Thank you.